Once upon a time, there was a guy named Melvin, and he had a smelly goat. That's how bedtime started when I was a little kid. My dad came in and told stories of castles and trolls and enchantments and heroes and heroines, and one constant was this smelly goat. I really loved those stories. We all love stories. Star Wars, Harry Potter, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Lord of the Rings, epic struggle between good and evil. We love stories. We love stories of the underdog team winning the championship against all odds, or the person who overcame adversity to make it big, or the dog that travels 500 miles to be united with her family. The rom-coms, where the cute couple overcomes misunderstandings and gets together in the end. We love stories. And we talk about them with each other. What's your story? Oh, there's got to be a story behind that. Or wait till I tell you this story. We love stories. We even live in stories because stories help us to make sense out of life. They explain how and why things are the way they are. They tell us of possibilities and limitations of heroes and villains, of life and death. We love stories. Our, our stories tell us who we are, where we came from, what we value, and where we are going. Here's one of my current favorite stories. Right when the COVID-19 vaccine was being rolled out beyond the people who were first responders, um, it was available, but it was really hard to find a place that had the vaccine or that you could get an appointment at. And I know a lot of you found that very frustrating. I talked with a lot of people who were camped on the phone, just pushing redial over and over and over again, hoping that they could find a place that had an appointment. And it was a little bit dire because the virus was marching on, friends were getting appointments, but it was feeling really desperate for people who couldn't get them. And I heard from one woman who couldn't get her elderly mother a vaccine appointment. And she was so frustrated and she felt like a terrible daughter. And about then was when a member of our congregation, Dr. Kathy Polo, God bless her. If you don't know Kathy as a neurologist, you know her as our accomplished cello player in the band. Well, Kathy and her partner in their practice was able to get a hold of vaccines and have clinics here at our church. And a number of you were really blessed by that. So I contacted this woman who has no connection to our church whatsoever, nor from the community, and told her that we had a place for her mom. And this is what she said to me. She said, I was so discouraged. I was beginning to think that it was just everyone for themselves. But you showed me that your church is different. We were taking care of people. We were concerned beyond the end of our own noses. We were interested in more than just our personal needs and our personal preferences. Why? Because loving and caring for people is part of our story. Because we are living in a bigger story. The story of a God who loves and cares for us. And the story we live in is based on Easter. So I want to take you to the scriptures. We're going to be in Mark 8 this morning. And I just want to acknowledge ahead of time that this is not a typical Easter text. So why did I pick this one? 
Because in most of the Easter texts at the end of the Gospels, particularly the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's an angel or angels, and they say something like, he's not here. He's risen just as he said. So Jesus has been telling them this story long before they get to Jerusalem. He tells his disciples roughly the same three times in the Gospel of Mark. And it's these earlier tellings of the story that the angels at the tomb are referring to. So let's look at Mark 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet to forfeit their soul? So Jesus is telling them a story. He's inviting in them into that story that will make better sense out of their lives and give them hope. And here's the story. The world is broken. It wasn't created this way, and we all know that deep within us. It's why when we're hurt or when we experience a loss, we just have this sense that it isn't right. And the glory of all of this is that God is not content to leave us broken. He's in the process of putting it all back together again, of putting us back together again. That's the glory of Easter. New life is possible. The old order is passing away. God sends Jesus into the world, and he shows us what God is like, that God is full of love and mercy, and that God wants us all back home again. He shows us that God never intended for us to feel the type of pain and sorrow that we do. And at the center of his purpose, the main point of the story is that Jesus takes the weight of all of the evil in the world and he breaks its power by dying on the cross. And on Easter Sunday, God raises him from the dead. In the Apostle Paul's words, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And the promise is that if Jesus is raised from the dead, we can be too. Pain, suffering, depression, oppression, horrible things that have been said to you, horrible things that you have said, failures, mistakes, outright sin, broken relationships. Because of the cross and the resurrection, those things do not have the final word. There is hope. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus tell us an entirely new and different story. Why did they need a new story? Why do we need a new story? Because the old ones weren't helping them. The old ones were ineffective. The old ones were broken. The stories define us in a way that don't lead to life and hope and joy and peace. 
Maybe you've never thought about there being a story that helps us define who we are. But think about some of the things we take for granted that are actually stories that we are living in. If you work hard, you'll make it and life will be good. You can do anything you put your mind to. The possibilities are endless. Those are some of the stories we've been told. But they aren't universal stories, not by a long shot. Those are stories from our culture, and other cultures have other stories. Think about some of the other stories that we are often told. If you buy this, you'll be happy. When we watch a car commercial, it isn't just about the gas mileage of the car. We see stories of the good life, comfort, prestige, confidence. Heck, Lincoln even guarantees you'll catch a fish if you buy one of their cars. When you go to a car show, why do they have women in bikinis laying on the hood of the car? It's because they aren't selling you a car, they're selling you a story. If you buy this car, women like this will start following you and apparently laying around on your hood. It sounds absurd, but that's exactly what the story is. Here's another. Romance is the key to happiness. If you can just find that glorious feeling of being in love, then you'll have all the joy you need. When we listen to songs on the radio, we hear stories that promise joy just through the magic of romance. And then we hear Taylor Swift breakup songs, and that may be closer to what the reality is. We all believe at least some of these stories. They might be myth or they might be real, but the stories shape our identity. The problem is that many of the stories are dangerous. You know how to tell the story that you're living in? What's your default when things get tough? What story do you believe then? This was a rough year. Which story did you live into this year? The story that it was all up to you? The story that you're all alone? The story that the most important thing in life is for you to have what you want whenever you want it? Or something closer to the resurrection story of a God who loves and cares for you even in the midst of a pandemic? David Foster Wallace talks about what it's like to live in the various stories that are available to us. He says, whatever you sell out to in this world will eat you alive. If you sell out to success, you will always fear failure. If you sell out to receive the love of others, you will live a fragile existence, constantly striving to secure affection. If you sell out to your career, you'll end up bitter and lonely. We all source our identity in someone or something, and we would be foolish to underestimate how doing so shapes our identity and, just as important, shapes how we interpret our identity. Jesus says this slightly differently when he said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? The other stories we're told promise life, but deliver death. The story of Jesus requires death and delivers life. That's the importance of Easter, what we're doing here today. 
We're here to celebrate that there is a different story that makes better sense of our lives, that gives us hope, that forms us into a community that loves and cares for people, that causes people who are outside of us to say, you showed me something different, something that gave me hope, something that I didn't know existed. Here's the crazy thing that happens, and it might even still happen to us. You see, immediately after Jesus tells the story, Peter tries to change it. Immediately, Peter tries to live into a different story. Verse 32, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's Peter getting at when he rebukes Jesus? Well, Peter still has preconceived notions. We don't want a dead Messiah. We want a king that will overthrow the government we don't like and install a government we do like. That's what we want from God. And we have to be really careful that we aren't reducing the cross and the resurrection to simply a story that gives us what we want when we want it. Jesus rejects this notion pretty strongly. And the reason is because there's no power in that. Why just change the government when you can give people real hope instead? Why just move more people in and out of power? Why not break the power of evil and sin and death instead? Why settle for trying to legislate morality when you can transform people's hearts and lives instead? People long to believe that there's a better story, that good wins, that there is meaning, that we aren't alone. We want to belong to a bigger story. We want our lives to be about more than posting things on social media and counting the likes and shares to determine our value as people. We want there to be more. C.S. Lewis said it years ago. We are in need of a better story with the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from the evil enchantment of worldliness which has been laid upon us. An evil enchantment has been laid upon us. I love that. And it's so true. The cross and the resurrection, Good Friday and Easter, break the power of the evil enchantment and begin to put things back together the way that they were intended to be. And the evidence of that is the type of community we are at our best. When people think that everyone is just out for themselves and then they look at the way we live, the way we love, the way we care and think, and they say to themselves, I had no idea that reality existed. Easter proclaims that that re reality exists and that you can live in it, that there's another story with a different ending. And spoiler alert, let me tell you how the story ends. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21. And John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Christ is risen. Death is defeated. God is making all things new. We have hope. We are not alone. We are loved just the way we are. That's a much better story. So let me ask you three questions. Is the story you're living in bringing you life or is it eating you alive? In what area of your life would you like to experience new life? And what does Jesus being raised from the dead mean for you?